0: Assalamu wa rahmatullah, this is Abdul Rahman and you're listening to the Heartwork series on the Qalam Podcast. Heartwork is a weekly session at the Roots Community Space in Dallas, Texas, where young professionals come together and discuss ideas and concepts on how to grow in their religious practice and their relationship with Allah. This particular series is called The Messenger, where the focus of the discussions will be on lessons from the life of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. If you enjoy and appreciate these sessions in these series, then please consider becoming a sustainer of the Roots community space by going to rootsdfw.org/sustain we really appreciate your contribution we appreciate your prayers and we appreciate you listening to the programming that we put out jazakallahu khairan wa assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah bismillah uh, walhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajmaeen i hope inshallah everybody is doing well welcome home welcome back to our uh weekly study of the life of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu um, Alaihi here at Roots. Um, we are continuing insha'Allah our study of the life of the Blessed Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu um, and we are going to uh, inshallah today be covering what is an incredibly uh, important and incredibly uh, you know powerful uh, moment in history from the life of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam um, we talked about so far and we've come up to the point of just about the second year after Hijra, the second year after the Hijra of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu And so where we are is that the Muslims have uh, secured a a a city, a place to live and exist and worship freely. Um, they do still have some interesting uh, obstacles with regards to their um, they do have some interesting obstacles with regards to their community, they have other uh, you know, community members, people from other faith traditions that exist in Medina. They still have the uh, the political propaganda machine of uh, you know the Meccans and Quraysh trying to churn out uh, information against the Muslims. Um, and so, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam throughout the first year to year and a half of his time in Medina, it was not uh, you know the easy sort of chilled out, laid back image that um, a lot of us thought or a lot of us had there was still a lot of work to be done. And so the Prophet Muhammad where we talked about last week, we talked about the Prophet ﷺ's relationship with the tribes around the area of Medina, that the Prophet ﷺ was trying to create and cultivate a relationship with the tribes that were around the people of Medina. Um, you know, there were the the, 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 the different Sariah or saraya, the different expeditions that the Prophet would put out, where the role and the job of these different missions were to uh, engage with these tribes and try to uh, build relationships with them so that there could be an alliance that was formed to keep the prophet sallallahu Alaihi and the city of medina safe from any scheming and any planning um nevertheless the Quraysh and uh the you know the the enemies of the prophet sallallahu Alaihi who still lived in mecca they themselves were also you know scheming and planning and strategizing and they had led with their uh, propaganda and with their tactics they had led their words to become uh, acts of violence against the Muslims. And so there were occasional moments where the Muslims were targeted. Uh, you know, some Muslim shepherds on the outskirts of Medina were targeted by caravans that were, uh, you know, going on trade routes from uh, from Mecca to different places like Syria uh, and, and other places. And so there was definitely some tension that was there. Now, last week, um, you know, we stopped at the the example of the Prophet and how there was an unfortunate, uh, a a tragic occurrence, a mistake in which uh, Abdullah bin Jahsh, who was one of the cousins of the Prophet, how the Prophet had entrusted him with an incredibly uh, important role, and that was to go and to head towards the area of a Nakhla, which is near Ta'if, which is very close to Mecca, and to head towards that area and to try to basically do reconnaissance, try to gather information and try to figure out what the plans were that the Meccans were scheming because there was clearly something cooking up with all the propaganda and even the skirmishes um, that they had put uh, you know, forth. And so when they got there, uh, when they had arrived to this, uh, to this area and they had seen uh, this group of people from Quraysh there, uh, against their better judgment, they went ahead and attacked these individuals and ended up killing one of them. When they brought back two of them to the Prophet Muhammad uh as prisoners, um, this displeased the Prophet greatly. And this put the Prophet in a very difficult position. Uh, because when the Quraysh heard about this event, they started to again use this as a political rhetoric against the Muslims. So what they said was, you know, this happened... In one of the holy months, in the month of Rajab, uh, the sacred months in which there is no fighting, and they said, "Look at how barbaric these Muslims are! Look at how savage they are! That they would kill somebody during these months, and where everybody has agreed, right? Everybody in the in the uh, um, uh, in the peninsula, in the Arabian Peninsula, has agreed that these are sacred months that we don't fight during these months. But these Muslims are so barbaric, they're so savage. Look at what they have done! Now they weren't bringing up their own." Uh, you know, skirmishes or fights or anything like that. They only obviously pointed towards the Muslims at fault. And so when these companions led by Abdullah bin Jahsh came back, they were um, they were sort of socially scolded, meaning that the Prophet was disappointed with them. He told them that he did not command them to do this. Um, The community obviously was disappointed in them because it was known. It was known that this was a sacred month and that no fighting was allowed. Um, and so you you have sort of this uh, unfortunate atmosphere in which they are grieving, so to speak. They're feeling very bad and they're feeling very guilty. Until Allah subhanahu wa Taala sends down uh, an ayah which exonerates, uh, not exonerates them and their actions, but puts it into perspective. And this is where we finished last week, where Allah Taala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, this is uh, the second chapter, verse number 217. He says, uh yes haram. That they ask you about the sacred uh month. They ask you about the sacred month. قتال, قتال فيه, whether or not you know they ask you specifically about what the what the deal is with fighting in it. كبير, that it's a very, very great sin. It's a horrible thing to do. So Allah Ta'ala here is, is acknowledging the uh you know the the question or the rhetoric that the Quraysh are bringing to the muslims allah ta'ala is saying yes, alunak an ashhar alharami qitalan fihi qul qitalan fihi that tell them that yes it is a great great misgiving and a horrible deed an sabilillah wa kufru bihi right that the 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 blocking of the path of allah ta'ala and disbelieving in him walmasjid alharam and to uh, you know, and to uh, uh, block people from visiting the sacred house, wa wa minhu, akbar, and removing people from their from their places of living and their homes is even greater than that, and Allah with Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is addressing this issue, and this is actually a very powerful principle with regards to like our own faith and understanding fiqh and understanding uh, spirituality, is that not every deed is equal, not every deed is the same. And we began to talk about this last week, that there are some deeds that are more heinous than other deeds. Was attacking this group wrong? Absolutely. There is no uh, defense. The Prophet is not defending, Allah subhanahu wa taala is not, you know, allowing this. He's saying that it's a it's a big deal. But what he's saying is that if you look at the people that are trying to create a, a, a rhetoric or a case or a campaign against the Muslims because of this one mistake which was a sincere mistake on behalf of Abdullah bin Jahsh. He says Allah Ta'ala responds by saying you can't address this without addressing all of the other injustices that are contextual to this, right? And, and one thing that I think that's very important taking away from this subhanAllah that's very very powerful is that Allah Ta'ala then he finishes the idea by saying fitna fitnatu akbaru min al q- uh, that that fitna is greater than killing right fitna is greater than 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 murder or than killing or than fighting uh, Allah Ta'ala here is essentially saying that there is an environment or an ecosystem that can lead to chaos and then there are actions which are chaotic right so there's an environment fitna testing people and pushing them and harassing them and torturing them and all the things that the Quraysh were guilty of. They were creating an ecosystem of of, of of chaos for the Muslims. And then you have fighting and killing which is still a chaotic thing but it's an isolated act. Right, it's an isolated act. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is giving us the understanding that not every deed is equal. And not every misdeed is equal. And on top of that Allah ta'ala here is giving us a very important principle that if we want to address issues there is a reality behind understanding systemic causes for things there is a reality right there's a reason why in fiqh when a person steals there's a punishment but if they're hungry then the punishment is suspended if it's proven that they're hungry and that they weren't taken care of by the by the state then their punishment is suspended you know why that is because there's a systemic cause to their crime right if they were stealing for their own selfishness that's one thing But if a person was stealing to feed their crying children at home, and they were stealing a loaf of bread and they get caught, then the context of the ecosystem that led them to commit that sin is taken into consideration. And so this is an important principle for us to understand that while things can be incorrect, we should never be so short-sighted or so binary or so unable to see the whole view, right? That the Quraysh were literally losing the forest for the trees. They were picking out this one issue, and as a result of that, they were forgetting about all of the issues that they had caused that were greater uh, for the Muslims and the torture that was greater for the Muslims to experience. And imagine like Abdullah bin Jahsh and the other people that were with him, imagine them seeing these people after being tortured by them for almost a decade. Imagine them being, imagine the kind of anger and hurt, right? Sometimes, you know, subhanAllah, when you read the Sirah. Shaykh al-Nasser always used to say this when he was teaching Sirah. He was like, when you read the Sirah, you, you read dates and names and dates and names, but sometimes we forget that these were human beings that we're talking about. And so Abdullah bin Jahsh and the others, you know, when they were, عنهم, may Allah be pleased with them, when they were, when they were being tested by seeing the faces of the people that caused them and their families and their friends so much pain, you know, it, it, it was, it's, it's almost like um, how do you expect them to act? How do you expect them to respond, right? It's a reality. It's a reality. I remember I was once having a conversation with somebody about um, some oppression that was happening in the world, and they were trying to make the point that, you know what, even if the oppression is happening, that, you know, we should be patient and we should be this and we should be that. And I told the person that was telling me this, we were talking, and I said, you know, it's easy for you to say, you know, you're sitting here in America comfortably in your suburban home. And you're commenting on the on the plight of, of, for example, the Palestinian people, or the plight of the the Indian Muslims, or the plight of the Kashmiri people, or the plight. You're commenting on their plight, and you're trying to give them advice from comfort. How can you ever give advice to somebody who's in discomfort from a place of comfort? It's just not possible. The only thing that we can give people who are in discomfort is empathy and dua and prayers and support. But to sit and say, you know what, we're in this place and th- and that's why SubhanAllah, if you look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered by the ayah, it's beautiful because Allah Ta'ala is teaching everybody, look, we have to take their whole picture into consideration. Look at what they've been through, right? الله, that they're un- they were blocked completely from being able to go to the path of Allah, right? الحرام, and they were and, and they dealt with people who were disbelievers who made their life difficult and stopped them from visiting the sacred house, the house, the masjid of Allah Ta'ala, wa ekhraju Minhu uh, ekbara that these people were expelled from their homes. They were expelled with their families. He says this is way worse than what their. This is way worse than what this person did. Of course, there's no excuse, but it's way worse. And so this was an important uh, moment. And because of this, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this became. It, it made everything clearer for everybody. Everyone understood. Now, interestingly, Subhanallah, as we finished last week, we said that the two people that were. Uh, accepted the two people that were uh, that were taken in as prisoners from that from that expedition they were actually subhanallah one of them ended up accepting Islam one of them ended up converting and the other one ended up going back to Mecca and he ended up living the rest of his life in Mecca and passing away there but the Prophet Sallallahu the one who went back to Mecca the one who went back to his people the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave what was called Adiah he gave blood money he gave blood money what blood money is is basically it's a monetary compensation on behalf of a, as a way of, of, of trying to extend condolences uh, for a wrongful death or a murder, right? So in the, in the, in the legal system of the time, there was a, uh, there was a, in the legal system of the time, there was an option basically for the family of the murdered, for the family of the victim, was that they could either take the life of the person, right? They could exact some sort of punishment upon them, or they could force them to pay blood money, And so the Prophet obviously he wasn't going to, you know, give a Muslim person to the Meccans and say, here, but what he did do as as a gesture of of respect, even though they were at a they were in a cold war, really, they were in a war, uh, as a gesture of respect, he gave uh, blood money to that person. He said, Give this to the family of that person. Even though the Prophet was not uh, obligated to do so himself. Right? He was not obligated to do so himself. And this also teaches us subhanAllah that whenever it comes time for you to settle an account with somebody, always make sure you settle uh, better than what they've settled. Always make sure you settle by giving more than what you've than what you've received. Always make sure you do that. This is a lesson that, you know, I, I I've had to really build into my psyche. And I think that Sheikh Abdul Nasser and some other teachers that I have, like, they've always taught us. And it's difficult, right? Because we're we're such a people of of precision and fairness and trying to make sure that everyone gets you know, everything equal and what they deserve and this and that, because we're so built upon this idea of fairness that sometimes the idea of being generous and magnanimous beyond fairness, especially to people that we don't have any necessary attachment to, uh, is something that we, uh, you know, subhanAllah, that we battle with, that we battle with as 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 a personal battle. And so I would always see like, you know, my teachers, and you always see this, by the way, overseas as well, uh, if you buy anything overseas, uh, especially in like the Middle East, if you're purchasing anything and and uh, you know the person on the way out, after they've given you their change, they'll slip like a pack of gum into your hand. They'll take like a pack of gum and they'll put it into your onto your change. And that's kind of like a customary thing to say, you know what, I don't have to do this, but I'm going to do this. Why? Because this is the character of the Prophet in ala That he didn't want anybody to come to him and say, oh, you know what, your person ended up killing that person and you didn't even acknowledge it, you didn't even recognize it, what kind of religion is this? And so the Prophet ﷺ went above and beyond to honor uh, this person's family by giving them the compensation, even though there was no uh, necessity for him to do so. Okay, so we covered that last week and I just kind of wanted to wrap that up. And now moving forward, another major event that happened in the month of Rajab in the second year of Hijrah. There, were, uh, there was a major, major event that occurred. And this event wasn't like, you know, it's very different in its nature than the previous event. And this event was the changing of the Qibla. The changing of the Qibla. The Qibla is the Arabic word for the direction of prayer. It's the way in which Muslims pray. And so when someone says like, where's the Qibla, what they're asking is, which direction should I be praying in? Now, the Qibla, Muslims now obviously are accustomed to it being the Kaaba or the city of Mecca if you're outside of Mecca it's towards the direction of the Kaaba from outside so we're used to it being the Kaaba the Kaaba is the center of the Muslim prayer direction that is where everybody directs their prayer to but it wasn't always like that it wasn't always like that in fact during the pre-Medinan time during this moment pre-Rajab in the second year of Hijra, the actual Qibla that the Muslims had to pray to the actual direction was masjid al-Aqsa in Quds was the uh, masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem that was the qibla of salah and so the prophet muhammad he had a very deep attachment to the kaaba he had a very deep attachment to the kaaba obviously it was the uh, the house that was built by ibrahim alayhisallam his you know great 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 grandfather through ismail and it was something that he had a deep attachment to Um, you know, being from Mecca, growing up his whole life around it, making tawaf around it, um, it really meant something to him, the Kaaba did. And so what the Prophet ﷺ did was when he was performing prayers in the city of Mecca, while he was there, because the Prophet ﷺ had been praying, uh, you know, before even Isra' al-Ma'raj. The Prophet ﷺ had been praying before Isra' al-Ma'raj. Isra' al-Ma'raj is the event that canonized and solidified and formalized the five daily prayers. But there were uh, versions of salah that existed before that. Even in the you know from the beginning when Jibreel gave the first revelation to the Prophet, there are some narrations that said that Jibreel AS also taught the Prophet s.a.w. later on, very shortly after, how to pray. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught that to Khadija uh, anha, and taught that to Ali anhu. So Prayer was something that was built in to the experience from day one. and Ma'raj was when it became a formalized obligation in the form of five prayers with two rakats for Fajr, four for Dhuhr, four for Asr, three for Maghrib, four for Asha. That was what and Ma'raj set. But before then, the Prophet used to pray, uh, you know, once in the morning and once in the evening, and then whenever he felt the need to pray, whenever he felt the need to pray, he would offer his two raka'at of naful. So what he would do is the direction that he would pray during the time of Mecca was he would actually pray towards Masjid al-Aqsa, but he would pray on the side of the Kaaba that allowed him to pray almost, if you want to imagine like a line going through, it would go through the Kaaba. And why did he do that? Because again, his attachment and his love for the house of Allah, the Kaaba, did not, you know, it didn't compete with Masjid al-Aqsa, but he wanted to be able to utilize his love for the Kaaba as well as completing the... Prayer towards the direction, the Qibla of Mashal Aqsa. Now that worked in Mecca, but now after the Hijra, after moving to Medina, the Prophet wa sallam, was not able to do this because Mecca is south of Medina and Aqsa is north of Medina. And so, how can a person pray when one direction is southeast and one direction is north? How can a person pray towards both things? So the Prophet for about a year and a half, prayed in Medina towards Masjid al-Aqsa. Prayed in Medina towards Masjid al-Aqsa. But the Prophet that was something that really bothered his heart. Not the prayer towards Masjid al-Aqsa, but the yearning and the missing of Masjid al-Haram in Mecca. He used to miss it. And he used to desperately... And I want you to imagine like, how when you become so comfortable, and when something represents comfort to you, how desperately you miss it, right? Because this was like the place that he used to go and he used to recite Qur'an. This was the place he used to go make du'a. This was the place he used to go and seek the company of Allah during the early days of his, mes- uh, of his message when people were harassing him and, and, and tormenting him. This Kaaba represented sanctuary to him, right? This Kaaba represented sanctuary to him. And this is subhanAllah, like, if any one of us, you know, we feel... Subhanallah this 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 missing of the masjid right now because of the coronavirus like this is something that maybe you'll be able to connect to with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam imagine now like how he felt right he felt that he just misses a piece of him and so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam you know what does a person do when they miss something is that they often catch themselves like daydreaming or looking up at the sky wondering when they're ever going to be able to you know see that thing again or be be in that place ever again. You know, if you miss a certain place or if you moved and you miss something, you know, you kind of might catch yourself, sort of like gazing up toward the sky and missing it. And so, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he would constantly gaze towards the sky. And in some narrations, uh, it said that the the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would ask Jibril Ayyasallam when Jibreel Ayyasallam came to him that you know, can you? It, it, you know, he would tell Jibreel, I wish that Allah would turn the qibla back towards. Uh, Mecca. Like, I wish he would turn it back towards Mecca, because he missed it uh, so much. On top of that, one of the things that he was hearing from some of the Jewish tribes in Medina at the time, and remember, these are the ones that were sort of already uh, very sour. They were the ones that were already very sour, because the Prophet ﷺ came as an Arab from the lineage of Ismail, and they were very bothered by that. Uh, And remember, we said that their religious arrogance was sort of present and so they were very arrogant people because of their religion and because of their uh, authority that they got because of the religion so they would actually say like publicly they would say oh you know what like muhammad he only prays towards aqsa because he had to take something from us right like you know it's really our religion and he's just sort of following it you know he's praying so they would say that you know they didn't know which direction to pray so they looked at us and we guided them basically that's how they would say it. So all of this was sort of, you know, grinding against the Prophet Sallallahu gears and was making it very difficult for him. He missed Mecca, he missed the Kaaba, and then hearing people say things that made no sense, that were just, you know, trying to, to harass and make fun. Again, it wasn't the same as Quraysh in terms of physical torture, but just hearing sort of the mockery and the harassment and the insults, it really, really weighed heavily on the heart of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi So he would look up and he would, he wouldn't, do so much as raise his hands and ask Allah for it. But his heart would yearn for it. So Allah Ta'ala, uh, He would say, or He says in uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 144, a very beautiful ayah. He says, <laughs> That He says that uh, we have seen that you turn your, we have seen the turning of your face towards the sky so Allah Ta'ala is telling the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that we we see you like we it's the pain that you're in the difficulty you're going through the the, the pain that you're feeling it's not unnoticed we see it right subhanallah so he says subhanallah he says so o muhammad we will sure we will turn right the qibla towards the direction that will make you happy. We will turn the Qibla towards the direction that will make you happy. Look at how Allah Ta'ala is speaking to his beloved. He's telling his beloved Muhammad Sallallahu like, I'll do whatever makes you happy. I'll do what makes you happy, O Muhammad. Like, it's so powerful. It's so beautiful. And then he says, al-masjid al-haram," That he says, go ahead and turn your face towards Masjid Al-Haram. Like, this is the allowance now that he's been given. So, what are some of the lessons from this story that we take that are very beautiful? Number one is that the Prophet Muhammad he, even though something caused him a lot of pain, even though something caused him a lot of difficulty, he still never gave up. Even though he wanted to pray towards the Kaaba, even though he wanted to pray towards Masjid Haram, he still never ever turned his back on what Allah Taala had commanded him to do. Allah's command was to pray towards Masjid al-Aqsa. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Muslims all to pray towards Masjid al-Aqsa. And he never, the Prophet wasallam, never, despite all the yearning he had, he never ever even considered going against what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted. In fact, if you think about it even from a physical standpoint, he was literally performing prayer towards Masjid al-Aqsa with his back towards the Kaaba, With his back towards the Kaaba. Can you imagine... Like, can you imagine the tension that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi was feeling while he missed the Kaaba and he missed Masjid al-Haram? He was still never ever, he would never consider and never even negotiate disobeying Allah no matter what it is that he was feeling. And, um, you know, last night I was having a conversation with Mufti Kamani and Sheikh Abdul Nasser on the Qalam Hangout. Um, and one of the things we talked about was ritual versus spiritual, right? What, what does it mean to do something that's a ritual? And what does it mean to feel spiritual? And sometimes, you know, we put these two things as opposites. And we say, you know, either we do the ritual or we feel spiritual. And the battle that we're having is, you know, what do I what do I do when I don't want to just do rituals? I want to feel something spiritual. And look at the Prophet ﷺ here. He's facing Masjid al-Aqsa, but his heart yearns for the Kaaba. But he never ever abandoned what Allah Ta'ala commanded him because... Spirituality is doing your best to do what Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala wants you to do. Spirituality, true spirituality is doing your best, is giving ihsan to whatever Allah Ta'ala wants you to do. Whatever Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala wants you to do, you can never ever give up on what Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala wants you to do for the sake of your own feelings, for the sake of what I feel, right? And never ever abandon Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala's command for the sake of Maybe a strategy that you have that doesn't include Allah. Because that's not spiritual. That's just selfish. Right? It's just a selfishness. And the second lesson that we take from this, the first is the Prophet commitment to Allah no matter what he felt. Right? And the fact that he felt, the Prophet felt that tension. Right? You and I might feel that tension. You know, you and I might feel moments where we want to do something else, but... What we know we should do is something else, and we feel that tension between us. The second lesson, subhanAllah, is that if a person is close to Allah, if you're close to Allah, some duas you won't even have to say them out loud. Some duas you won't even have to say them. Like your heart will just call upon Allah subhanahu wa taala enough. Look at how the Prophet wa sallam, was the closest to Allah, And he didn't even have to verbalize his du'a, like he didn't even have to say anything, right? Allah Ta'ala just granted him this gift. Why? Because he continued to persevere and do his best and do whatever he could, which was the best for Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. So if you're ever in a moment where you're wondering about, you know, whether or not Allah Ta'ala is going to grant you something, don't let up, right? A person wonders, you know, I'm trying hard, I'm praying, I'm doing what's right. When is Allah going to grant me what I'm hoping for? You know, we should never ever use doing what's right as a leverage for getting what I'm hoping for. We should realize that getting what you're hoping for, if it's good for you, if it's meant for you, that Allah Ta'ala will give it to you. If you continue to do what's right, right? Whatever a person does, if they continue to do what's right, Allah Ta'ala will grant you what is best for you on that straight path. You don't need to leave the straight path to get what you want. Right, and that's why the goal then is to ask Allah, oh Allah, make my heart want what you want. Make my heart love what you love. Like I don't wanna love something else, right? I don't wanna love something else that isn't what you love, right? You keep doing what's good for the sake of your faith and your iman. You never ever put your iman at stake. You never ever put your faith at stake. And you trust that on that journey, on that straight path, that Allah Ta'ala will grant you what you need in that moment, right? That he will give you what you need in that moment. That's the second lesson that we take from this. The third is what happens after. So what happens after when this when this revelation is sent down is that there were a couple different, so this, this moment actually happened during, it's either some of the narrations in Bukhari say that it's either Asr, some other narrations say it could have been Maghrib or the but the, the, the most you know, reputable narration says that it was most likely occurred during the Asr prayer uh, that this narration or that this change happened. And what happened, subhanAllah, was that when this when this uh, verse was sent down during the Asr prayer, that the actual rotation of the uh, of the uh, jama'ah, of the congregation, happened during the Salah. And so what ended up happening as a result of that was that there were some other narrations that Bukhari mentions. One of them is through the son of Amr bin Khattab, Abdullah bin Umar, anhumah, And he says that the people of Masjid Qubat, remember Qubat was the place where the Prophet family lived, nearby, about a 45-minute walk from Masjid Nabawi He says that the people of Masjid Qubat, they were already praying uh, the Fajr prayer, so the next day. And someone came to them, and during their Fajr prayer, he said, the Messenger of Allah has had yesterday, right yesterday evening, he had the Qur'an revealed to him, and the Qur'an said that we should change our prayer towards the Kaaba. So this is, by the way, I want you to imagine this. Someone is announcing this during Fajr, right? Someone is announcing this during the Salat. So then the narration says, Bukhari narrates from Abdullah bin Umar, he says, they were facing Sham, they were facing uh, Sham, which is modern day Palestine, Syria. And he says, and they turned towards the Kaaba in their prayer in their prayer. Then another person who was one of the people who was at the uh, Bay'ah, uh, the allegiance of the Prophet ﷺ in Mina, said that we were praying at Bani Haritha, and there was a person who came, Abbad bin Bishr al qaisi and he said, the Messenger of Allah Ta'ala faced the Kaaba and its masjid, so the men and the women, they switched places in the middle of Salah, and they prayed their Salah, they finished their Salah, uh, they prayed the first two raqat when they heard, and then they finished the second two rak'ah. So it was either Duhur, uh, Asr, or Asha. So interestingly, this is, okay, so why are we telling these narrations? Because this is one of uh, four responses. This is one of four responses. Um, yeah, four responses that were given to this matter. And the four responses, they each show you a level of, of piety. Okay, a level of piety. There were four different responses. The first response when this happened was what you hear here in these narrations that we just told, which was this concept that you'll hear a lot of times in Islamic tradition, وأطعنا, that we hear and we obey. We hear and we obey. We heard it last week in the story of Abdullah bin Jahsh. Last week in the story of Abdullah bin Jahsh, we hear what? We hear, uh, you know, the Prophet gives him a message. He tells him, don't open this message. He had a scribe come and write something. He says, don't open this until you get a couple days away from here on the way to Nakhla. When you open it, then look at, look at what it says to you. And you have a choice. You either can, can, you know, you can do what it says or you can come back. Okay? So Abdullah bin Jash he goes. He opens the message. And what does he say? The Prophet Sallallahu tells him, go towards Nakhla, stay there, scope it out, do some reconnaissance. And then you know, figure out what's happening because we're being attacked from these different caravans that are coming by our city. And what does he say? He says, I'm in. And he tells his all his group that's coming with him, he tells them, You guys are more than welcome to go back, but I want to do what Allah and His Messenger want. Like the way he does that, it's like it's almost like he's shaming them, right? Like he tells them, like, you guys are more than welcome to go back. That's fine, that's your choice. As for myself, I'm gonna do what Allah and His Messenger want. I'm gonna go and and seek you know paradise. And so he goes, right? That submission, that just beautiful, like instant submission, right? Sama'an, like they hear it, wata'an, they, and they obey it right away. Uh, you, you're going to hear about it soon in the, in the battle of, of, uh, of Badr with Sa'ad bin Mu'ad, عن, you're going to hear about the, the powerful submission. As soon as the Prophet Wasallam says something, and not only is it when he says something, but sometimes it's at a moment where they have an option not to do it they have an option like with abdullah bin jash they had an option with sa'd bin mu'adh we're going to find out next week inshallah when we do the battle of badr hopefully next week they they're going to have an option it's not a mandate for them but they tell the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam whatever you want i'm there whatever you want i'm there it doesn't matter you know the agreements we had all that doesn't matter so the first response that you have from these like beautiful beautiful muslims these like amazing faith muslims is that when the Prophet when they heard that the Prophet alaihi had, wasallam had said something, when the Quran had revealed something, they didn't need to like, you know, they obviously sought knowledge, but they didn't need to go into the, the nitty-gritty and the nuance and the complexity before they accepted it. Right? They just the Prophet said it and they were like, I'm in. Right? That's number one. So may Allah Ta'ala grant us that. That's beautiful. That level of submission is incredible, is beautiful. Okay? Now some people amongst the hypocrites, okay, so you have some of these people, the hypocrites, remember we said that there are people who they claim to be Muslim, but they're not. But on the outside, they they, they have the appearance of Muslim, uh, of, of Islam. Um, they, well, let's first start with the Jewish tribes. So the Jewish tribes, you know, they said that, well, you know, this is just a way for the uh, the Muslims to try to, uh, go against us. This is just a way for the Muslims to try to go against us. And he said, that uh, the Jewish tribe says, it says that, um, they asked, they said, you know, how how is this how is this true? How is this true that the, the, the Qibla can change from Masjid al-Aqsa to Masjid al-Haram? And they said, you know what? This is proof that he's actually not the real Prophet. This is proof that he's not actually the real Prophet. If he was the real Prophet he would be from our lineage and he would never ever change away from al aqsa right so again subhanallah what do you see from this from this dialogue you see that the the, the jewish tribes of medina they were having a difficult time understanding allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala's uh, his 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 rububiyah his lordship they were having a difficult time processing allah Wa ta'ala's lordship because allah can choose to do what he wants Allah Subhanahu wa taala can choose to do what he wants. So it bothered them that the Prophet sallam was an Arab. It bothered them a lot. And now that he's doing this, all of a sudden, you know, they're like, "Oh my goodness." And they're like, "You know what? This this means that he was never the prophet in the first place because he's going against what we want." Right? But lesson in faith and spirituality that Allah taala doesn't always ordain for us what we want. He ordains for us what we need. When Allah Ta'ala gives us Fajr before the sunrise, that's not all the time what we want, is it? Like, is Fajr before sunrise what you want every day? Right? Maybe, maybe if your nafs is trained and your nafs has fallen in love with that practice, then yes. But for most human beings, that's a difficult thing, right? There's an ayah in the Quran where Allah says, and they give their wealth against their love for it. ala hubbihi. That, and they give their wealth against their love for it. What does that mean? Allah knows us. He says, I know that you, you don't love to give your wealth. I know you don't love to give your wealth. al mal jamma? You love wealth. You love wealth. Allah Ta'ala says, I know you love money. Right? qurbah. Allah Ta'ala then gives the, the, the categories. But the point being is that Allah Ta'ala tells us, I know that it's difficult for you to do certain things. I know that it's difficult for you to do certain things, but it's what you need. It may not be what you want, but it's what you need. So the Jewish tribe, the first tribe, when they were challenging Allah, they were not interested in what Allah Ta'ala was giving them and what they needed. They wanted Allah Ta'ala to, 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 they wanted Allah Ta'ala to give them what they wanted and not what they needed. Right? So this is one of the things we have to be careful with in terms of faith. If we read something, and the, and by the way, look at how it contrasts with the believers, that the believers are saying what they're saying, like we hear you and we obey. Why? Because they understand what is coming to them; it's what they need. The Jewish tribe says no. Okay, and Allah Taala He answers them, and Allah Taala says that. Uh, <laughs> Allah says that you know and he tells the prophet because the jewish people were like you know they were basically demanding proof and evidence that this is true and so Allah ta'ala says wa la in utul kitaba that and if you brought to those people who were given the scripture that they were actually given scripture that they were people of scripture before bi kulli ayatin he says that if you gave them every single sign if you were able to provide for them every single sign, ma tabi'u qiblataka. He says they would not follow your qibla still. Right? When a person has decided that they're not interested in what Allah ta'ala wants for them, rhetorical argument does not work. Right? Rhetorical argument does not work. If a person has decided internally, I'm not interested, then you can't convince them rhetorically. Right? The only person that has the opportunity to be convinced is what is the person that is genuinely open to hearing and genuinely opening, open to seeing what the signs prove and what they see and what, they, and what the evidence says. Right, But if a person has closed their heart and they say, no, this is the way it is, even if they're asking you to prove your argument, their argument the argumentation is a waste of time. That's what Allah Ta'ala is saying here about these tribes of Jews in Medina. He's saying that even if you were to bring them everything, they wouldn't follow you. Uh, one of the great uh, uh, tafsir says about this, that it basically is saying, were you, O Muhammad to bring every verse in the Torah? He says that, kulli ayatin refers to their book. Because Allah says what? utul kitab That they were the ones giving the scripture. That if you were to give them kulli ayatin, So Allah, here the tafsir is saying, Ayat in here is referring to Al-Kitab, their book. That if you were able to bring the evidences even from their text, not your text, that they wouldn't follow it. That they wouldn't follow it. And this proves what? That people, especially people of religion, they can grow to try to manipulate the religion and we can try to bend faith and look for loopholes here and there to fit what we want, not what Allah Ta'ala wants for us. It's a very dangerous path. Never ever use faith and spirituality and religion to justify what you want. Right? Instead try to try to have what you want and what you want to do be just be, be justified in the religion. Right? Instead of using religion to justify what you want, try to try to force yourself and your actions to be justifiable in the religion. Okay, which means to change yourself, not change the religion. Okay, so that's group number two. So the first group were the Muslims. They were like, this is great. سمعنا وَتَعْنَا We're in. Whatever, you know, pray towards Qibla, pray towards whatever direction, we're good. The next group were the, uh, the the Jewish people. The third group were the Quraysh in Mecca. When they heard the news, they said that, oh, look, look what happened. Muhammad Wasallam, right? We're saying ﷺ, but they would say, oh, look, he felt... He felt, uh, he missed home. You know, he missed home. You know, we told you he was making all this up. We told you that all this stuff was just false. Like, look, he's, he missed home. So all of a sudden, you know, it was Aqsa and now it's Mecca. You know, this is not a religion. This is just what he wants. And they tried to use this to rile up the Jews against the Prophet Wasallam even more. So the Jewish tribes in Medina... They tried to use this to kind of sort of drive a wedge between them. Even though the Prophet had tried to build relationships, they tried to use this to drive a wedge between the Muslims and the Jewish communities. They tried to say, look, look, he's just, he, he, he missed his home, so he bailed on you guys. Right? He only teamed up with you so that you would accept him. And now that he's there and he made his place, he's been there for a year and a half now, he doesn't need you anymore. So now he's going to do whatever he wants. So they tried to use this as a sort of uh, means um, to try to get the, the Jewish tribes to hate uh, the believers. And Allah Ta'ala responds to this when He says in Surah Al-Baqarah, الناس, That He says that Allah Ta'ala calls them foolish people. Right? He calls them foolish people. He says, He says, the foolish people will ask you, what has turned them away from their qibla that they used to face? And then the response Allah Ta'ala says, Allah Ta'ala says, people are gonna ask you. And he says, Sufaha, the foolish people, they're not that smart. So he says, just realize that who, who's bringing this argument up. That they're gonna say, مَا وَلَّاهُمْ عَنْ قِبْلَتِهِمْ أَلَّتِي كَانُوا عَلَيْهَا He says that, what turned these people away from the qibla that they used to have? What? He says, what? Why did it change all of a sudden? These foolish people. Qul to Allah is the east and the west. And in Tafsir, by the way, we learned this. With Shaykh Abdel we learned that. When Allah Ta'ala mentions like two poles, east and west, east and west, uh, heavens and earth, uh, day and night, whenever the two extremes are mentioned, uh, Ibn Ashur, he mentions this, the great Mufassir, that it, it also includes everything else in between. Right? So it's, it's one way of saying everything else in between. So it's like if I said from here to there, I'm not only talking about here and there, I'm saying... From here all the way to there, right? I'm including everything between. So Allah's response to them is Allah is the possessor of the East and the West. Yahdi He guides who He wants to the straight path. Like, who are you to question why Allah is doing something? It's Allah's decision anyways. You should be more concerned about your guidance. And even that is in Allah's hands, right? So you should be seeking guidance from Allah. If you don't get it, Maybe that's a concern that you have, need to have internally, right? So that's the uh, that's the um, the second uh, or the third. Sorry, they the third uh, response. The fourth now were the hypocrites, okay? And unfortunately, the problem with the response of the hypocrites, you know, the the the, the response of the um, the Muslims obviously was great. The response of the Quraysh was problematic, but. Not, you know, not horrible because again Allah Ta'ala even says that it was foolish. It was a foolish argument. The response of the Jewish tribes, it's problematic because they're supposed to be like the neighbors of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so you never want to have a bad relationship with your neighbors, right? Now the response of the hypocrites, this is where it causes a lot of issues because they purposely tro- sort of tried to sabotage the Muslims and tried to plant these doubts in the minds of Muslims people who were not hypocrites, but maybe their faith wasn't strong. Maybe they, they had just accepted Islam. Maybe something was confusing to them. And so they would try to sort of present these doubts into the minds and the hearts of these believers. So they said, so that they would ask, you know, why, why change? What's the big deal? Why change? And Allah Ta'ala responded beautifully in the same passage in Surah Al-Baqarah. This is uh, ayah number 143. He says, Jaalna uh, al he says that Allah Taala beautifully responds. This is very powerful. We mentioned this last night in the Qalam Hangout, by the way. Very, it's ironic because I didn't realize I was going to cover this today, or I didn't think about that at the time. Allah says, that we didn't make the Qibla that you used to face except the only reason why we made it the qibla a certain direction is to see who was going to follow the prophet sallallahu in the first place. Right? The qibla is irrelevant. Allah Ta'ala is saying that whatever direction Allah chooses is irrelevant. Allah is not Allah Ta'ala is not in essence beholden to any one place. Right? But the idea of a qibla, the idea of a qibla was a test to see who would be close to the Prophet ﷺ, and who would want to follow him. And Allah Ta'ala here is saying that when you look at the response of the first group, the Muslims, they nailed it, A+. plus. As soon as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was you know, informing people that the Qibla changed, they changed. That's exactly what Allah Ta'ala was talking about. That who is going to follow the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam وَمَن يَنْقَلِبُ عَلَىٰ عَقِبَيْهِ And who are going to be those people that are going to hear this and they're going to be like, ah, I'm going to turn back, right? I'm going to turn on my heels, right? And then they're going to say, وإن كانت لكبيرة إلا على الذين هدى الله that it's 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 uh it's only going to be difficult upon those people who Allah Taala uh, has uh, it's only going to be difficult on those people except for those who Allah Taala has guided right so very powerfully this verse is teaching us upon that there are going to be some things in the religion that doing them or that acting upon them or whatever however you want to put it literally when you try to think about it there's no logical answer like what makes al aqsa versus the kaaba like what how how was that how was that decided you know did allah ta'ala give us like a geographical reality did he tell us that like oh this place is better because of this or this is this or this there was no reason given the reason that was given was literally li rasul to see who is going to follow the prophet sallallahu a lot of times the idea of following religion as a mere means of following is talked down upon and is seen as dogmatic. Allah Ta'ala here is actually saying that when you follow the Prophet and you do something solely because he did it, that that is not a dogmatic, that is not a bad, that is not, a, that is not a, 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 uh, an ignorant thing to do. That is the height of submission. When a person follows the Prophet ﷺ for no other reason besides the fact that the Prophet ﷺ did it, that is the height of of faith and spirituality. And it's especially beautiful, it's especially beautiful when a person has to battle themselves to do it. It's especially beautiful. You know, when a person doesn't want to do something, but they say, I'm going to do it because I love the Prophet ﷺ and he did it or he wants me to do it, that is one of the most beautiful forms of submission, and that's what Allah Taala is teaching us here, right? That's what Allah Taala is teaching us here in this story. So the verse of the change of the Qibla was a major, major moment during the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and it really, really showed more than just the direction of Salah. It showed uh, the quality of faith in the believers uh, of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and it showed the response of the people around him. And this also became a, a big moment for the Muslims to sort of start to build their own spiritual and religious identity uh, that they could stand on their own and say, "This is who we are, and this is how we practice." And this became a defining moment uh, for uh, this became a defining moment for the Muslims from this point forward in the second year after Hijra. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to give us the beauty of submission and the ability to follow the Prophet ﷺ as soon as we hear something. As soon as we know something came from the Prophet ﷺ, as soon as we know that it actually came from him, it's authentic, it's real, we ask Allah ta'ala to give us hearts that turn towards the Prophet ﷺ that don't turn away. We ask Allah ta'ala to make our hearts the ones that are open towards following Allah and the Prophet ﷺ, not those that are closed toward that. And we ask Allah ta'ala to never test us with disbelief or hypocrisy um, or any uh, disease of that matter of the heart. Um, just i want to make dua for everybody that that has been affected by the situation of coronavirus whether it's um you know health uh whether it's financial whether it's mental stress mental anxiety um you know it's it's really weighing down on everybody and so i'm making dua sincerely that allah ta'ala help all of us allah ta'ala give us strength allah ta'ala give us good health allah ta'ala protect us allah ta'ala protect our wealth and our families and our health and give us barakah in our life um, and that Allah Ta'ala never tests us beyond what we can bear. Uh, I know that's getting challenging for everybody. Just try your best, inshallah, to remain in a, in a, in a state of positivity and optimism, inshallah. Um, there will come a time in your life when this is a memory. There will come a time in your life when this is a memory. Um, and it would be a shame to lose something. It would be a shame to lose status with Allah for something that is temporary. I mean, it's a shame to lose status regardless. But it would be a big shame to lose status with Allah, turning to ingratitude and turning to pessimism and turning to negative characteristics for something that will be a memory at some point. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us, inshallah, and give us tawfiq. Amin, Rabbil Alameen. everybody. Take care, inshallah. Love you all for the sake of Allah. Cannot wait for this place to be full again, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi